Welcome to DM2GM, the podcast where we help you get comfortable getting your game started around the table. I am your GM, Sean Howard from The End of Time and Other Bothers, and with me... Your DM from Dungeons & Dragons, Russ Moore. How's it going? It's going great! And today, we're here to talk about a topic we both love. Uh, So we have a question, Russ, Mm -hmm. which is, what do you do if you don't know a rule? There's a few questions here, but the fast first one, and I put them all under the title. I say I. I think you did this. Put them under the title, Our Guide to Winging It. Oh, yeah. I'm super excited <laughs> this about is this is the one. best place to be when you don't know what's happening. It's exciting. It's <laughs> thrilling. It's like, do you, am I breaking the game? Well, you're not going to find out till later. Let's run in. So what do you do if you don't know a rule, Sean? Make it up. Yeah, do that. If you're sitting around a table and you've designated a person to find rules, let them find the rule and make a ruling um, and then come back to it later. But make it up. I often, and Sean probably agrees, go for the rule of cool, which if it sounds fun and it seems achievable by a character, let them roll for it. Yes, 100%. If it's going to be cool, come up with what you think a roll is. Just do it. And later you can fix it if you need to. You wouldn't even fix it. Later you can understand what the rule might be. But just have fun in the moment. If it's cool, do it. Also, you don't always have to roll. It's your table. Like if if someone's like, I want to put my ear to the door and see if I hear anything. And you're like, oh, what role? I don't know the rule. You just can decide. Oh, you hear some murmuring. Yeah. And the story moves on. Nobody's going to be like, oh, but. We didn't roll. Like if they're like, I put my ear to the door and you're like, oh, you hear a murmuring. That's it. Moving on. You don't have to know a rule. Um, so there are cases where you can just be like, yeah, it works. Or or no, it doesn't. Like if it's just in the story, like there'd be no way you could hear anything. Just say you don't hear anything. Yeah. Now, um, it, so, you know, maybe you put your ear up to the door, you hear murmuring, but then they say they pull out this glass and they put it up to the door. Well, that changes a little bit. Maybe you get like a key phrase, but that's it. Right. So just it it puts it back on them to figure out how narratively they're getting their character into this scene and that, that they're trying to push you to get into. Um, if there's really nothing there, then then there's no no need to roll. No need. There's no there's no fear of failure or loss. So just give them something and then hopefully the scene moves on. And if they want to just kick in the door, well, somebody's in there talking, obviously. And I think that's even a rule now in 5E, because I know in 2E you had to roll supposedly for everything. I think in 5E, right? Correct me if I'm wrong here, Russ, D&D 5E, there's a rule that if you have copious amounts of time, you don't have to keep rolling a skill check. You're going to, if it's feasible to do it, you're probably going to figure out how to do it. If you just, if you're not under pressure in battle, Right? Like you're going to stack some logs or... I can't remember the exact phrase, but yeah, if there's no no danger to the character, they can keep trying. It's like like anybody, like if you, you get a door stuck, you know, you're not going to try it once and then be like, well, that door's stuck forever. You're going to keep trying until the door opens. And and one of the problems in early D&D was you kept having people just keep rolling until some... I, it's just monotonous because at some point, even if they're rolling really badly, at some point it's going to work. Yeah. So the idea is just let it happen. But let's talk about the problem. The problem we haven't talked which is it's a potential. It's something I think we've all run into. You've got someone at your table. You say, they're like, I put my ear to the door. And you're like, you don't hear anything. And they go, oh, but but I, I, uh, I this is a, uh, 
you know, this is an intelligence check or, you know, this is a, what's the uh, skill? I don't, what skill would this be? Perception or perception. My or, favorite yeah, or investigation. Well, I, I, I want to roll perception and see if I hear anything. So they're basically going to challenge you. They're going to like, it happens. You're going to be like, Oh, it doesn't work. Or don't just roll a D 20. And if it's over five and, and someone at your table in that moment where you're like, you're not sure what the rule is. You just decided on a, what it's going to be. Yeah. They're going to, they might challenge you and go, well, actually this should be a, in that moment, what I recommend doing after having many years uh, is just say to them, thank you. This is what we're doing right now. I want you to write that down on a card. Here's a card. And at the end of the game, we're going to go talk about that and check the rule book. Right? Yeah. Just just say, thank you. Love it. Um, but this is what we're doing right now. But let's write it down because at the end of the game, when we take or when we take a break, we can pull out the book and and you can let me know what the rule is. Which is another good suggestion is to have that debrief period, either partway or at the end, to bring up the rules that were like questioned or questionable, um, or really that you just didn't know and just went with it, but know that there probably is a rule for it. So that next time when you sit down at the table, the same thing happens. You've all read the book. You've all understood. Well, that time we just, we did what we could. Um, this time we'll use the actual rule to, to play the game. And sometimes in that debrief, you're going to come up with a house rule. Because it's not going to be clear the way it's written. And you're going to have all these like, we're not sure, but you can come to a consensus. and be like, you know what? Let's all agree we're going to do it this way. Yeah. Because there's no reason going on the internet or spending all this time. You're just here to play a game. Yeah. If it speeds it up and it makes it fun, then implement as many house rules as you can. It's one of the jokes at our tables. We have so many house rules that we've brought in from different game systems all over the place. I still need to write them all down one time. Um, but it's just because we've... In the moment, I remember back to like fourth edition or something. Well, this is how we did it there. So let's do it here. Yeah. And then we read it and it's different in fifth edition. But like, well, it was kind of fun the way we did it. So let's just keep <laughs> doing it that way. Ross and I are both recorded, like captured for all time until our feeds die. Yeah. Of doing something wrong. I was trying to learn Dungeon World, but as you may have heard on a previous episode, I don't spend a lot of time prepping. So I didn't spend a lot of time. It's a big book. Like Dungeon World is the hardest Powered by the Apocalypse game there is to learn, I think. It's just a massive book. So I think I spent all the first episodes, I was rolling damage um, for and rolling attacks by the monsters because I was so used to doing that in D and D. Like they're attacking or the the centurions are coming, I would have them roll to hit the party. Or, <laughs> but but in Power by the Apocalypse, I as the GM don't really roll any dice. So like I was just doing it wrong. Russ, I think you didn't kill a character that should have died, or uh, I don't remember. So again, that was involving Sean. Um, but <laughs> yeah, the question was. How do characters die? Like at what point, right. what threshold? Um, Not that this ever happened at your table. No, no. Don't, no. You know, no go, spoiler. Go listen to the show. You'll find it. It'll stand out. So it's okay to, to get a rule wrong, but like we talked about the rule of cool. I think there's also the rule of fun. Yeah. Is your table having fun? Are you having fun? I find I get really... I don't like it when we spend a lot of time arguing or digging up rule books. So I... Don't tend to bring those players back. Um, That's not fun for me. And I don't, because I also feel the pressure that it's not fun for the other people at the table, right? Well, because it stops the game, right? Right. And it's okay once in a while, right, to have a conversation or to mark it and come back to it later. Um, But I think that's another thing to think about, right? Like, what is fun for you and your table? And just, if that's house rules, or if that's just 
Or if that is, if you're all rules lawyers, maybe you're all lawyers in real life and you just want to stop and constantly assess and look everything up and cross tabulate it. If that's the way you play and yeah, go for go it. Go for it. But yeah, as long as it's, as long as at the end of the day, it's, it's fair to the entire table. You're not giving one person an easy way out and then changing it for another person and then changing it for another person. As long as the rule stays consistent, which again comes to writing it down, reviewing it and knowing for next time what, you know, what you did and what you, you could have done and picking the way you want to go, just make it fair and make it fun for everybody. So the next question we had that we put under here was what to do if your party is doing something you didn't expect. So we sort of talked about this in the last episode. Uh, in, in a was previous episode. episode. Yeah, it was previous. Sorry. We've recorded a few in a row here. So, but, but I want to think about like an instance, Russ, where you've set up something that they need to accomplish in order to move forward. Um, so I want to talk about sort of a different example of this, because we've talked a bit about what to do if they sort of surprise you, like they do something different, but I've had it happen a couple of times in my running tables where I've set up that a thing has to happen and it's tied into the world and all the there's multiple forces that are we're operating against the party and they're all coming down to this one action and the party doesn't figure it out and just doesn't take it. And we end up in this very it's actually starts people start to get frustrated at the table yeah. because um my tools are to escalate the situation or try and make it a little more obvious, but I don't want to give it away. Um, and then I remember there was a whole session where everyone just sat in a bar, a pub, and all they had to do, they had found the trap door to go down below. All they had to do is go down, but they weren't, they weren't doing it. And so they, they, in our debrief, they, they got a little frustrated. It wasn't a, a, wasn't a fun session for them. And I don't know if that's ever happened to you, but it's like, I expected them to put the clues together or to take the one exit. Like I surrounded yeah. the place. There's no other way to go. I tried to make it more and more obvious, but amping the pressure when they didn't know what to do um, was not fun for them. Yeah, it's it's running a game in a D, as a DM or GM, you often, I find I often, and have to kind of step out every now and again, knowing the outcome, because it seems so obvious. But when you when you have that conversation afterwards, it's like, well, it wasn't obvious, or we thought it was a trap, or we thought there's something... You have to step back and try and run through your scenario as a player. Like, what are what things have you presented them with? What are they going to be able to do? And no, and and try not to affix a single trigger to an event. Yes, which is which is in your example, Sean. I think is what is what it was. That was down my to. mistake. You I were agree. so locked on that one trigger. Yeah. Um, that everybody didn't use it or didn't find it, and they got frustrated and were like, "Well, we're we live here now, and we're gonna die." Yes. Hundred yeah. percent. And looking back, they were making me offers of other ways to solve this problem. But based on their, like, they were, and they started in character offers, which I love. Yeah. Right. This is how the barbarian thought. Well, we're gonna rush out and attack the the army that's gathering around the. I'm like, it's hundreds of people, but but I could. That was an offer. Like yeah. I could have, I could have allowed them to take that. But um, but then what happened is they started to switch to. Out of character offers. Yeah, the metagame thinking, right? Right. They're getting frustrated. They don't know what to do. They feel like, we're, that's it. We just live here now. We're going to die. And they're just like trying to, and then they just start throwing out things. And yeah, looking back, you nailed it. I try now to never have it all be just based on one action. Yeah. 
Um, um, yeah. You can, you, I mean, you, if there is only one trigger needed, like have the outcome be what the trigger is, but present them options in the room um, or dungeon or field or whatever they're in um, and let them figure it out. And as soon as you get to one that's that's fun and cool, go for it or let them try everything. But yeah, if it doesn't make sense for what the trigger is, let them play with a few until one fits and then your next thing occurs. The dragon shows up or the or they get yep. they escape into the underground tunnels. I could have let that first idea happen. Them charging out mm-hmm. into this army, this guy, because what is the last thing the, the army knows what they the army expects them that they're going to go down. Like yeah. the one thing they wouldn't expect is them to charge out of this inn into the army. It might work. Yeah. Well, right? it catches um, them off guard and then maybe it yeah. changes the encounter. Right. It's no longer a battle encounter. It's a, oh, right. you're standing in front of us. I mean, we could we could slaughter you now or we could have a negotiation encounter. Right. Right. And you're just talking to the orcs or whoever. Yeah. Exactly. So. So I think if if you're in that situation where the party is not doing what you expect, that's sort of the angle I'm taking on this question. The problem might be more with you. Yeah. As a GM DM, I'm always like, wait a minute. I'm sensing the I'm I'm having I'm having it feels like conflict with the party. Yeah. Right. Um, it feels like, you know, they're not getting it. I'm a little frustrated. They're getting frustrated. Tension just um, rises in within the people, not within the characters. Character tension is OK, yes. but people tension, player tension right. is difficult. And it's a good sign now to be like, OK, they're feeling frustrated. Let them do more things. Let them have agency. Yeah. Um, don't worry about my idea because I can find a way. Right. The cool thing about the human brain is. We are really we have information the party does not, and letting them do their thing will present an opportunity where you can be like, oh, the dragon's just going to hear that they're now dealing with the army and think that they're being right. The dragons are like, oh, they're making a deal with my ally who's now backstabbing me. The dragon might emerge out of the pit angry. Uh, you can do all kinds of things um, that will occur to you once you let the party have movement. Yeah. Uh, so so know your know your outcome going into most encounters um like what's your intent like know your outcome and intent of what you want them to be doing but give them the room to play within the space and figure out a a fun character driven way to get out of it yeah and the danger comes when you when you start to put it like into like you talk about trigger but also a place yeah the danger comes when they have to get to a certain room um you have to ask yourself, what if they choose to never go down that corridor? Yeah. So allow that to be allow that to be something that can happen in your world, even if it means they walk away from your big fight. That can be super cool. The dragon grows in strength, or whoever was down there. No, very good. Uh, there's one uh, final final guide to winging it here, um, and it comes from having uh, many characters here, but. What are quick ways to get into character as a DM and GM? So these are your NPCs, everybody who you run into on the street, which some sessions there could be one NPC, some sessions there could be 20. It comes down to some improv ideas. Sean's got an app up. I have an app. I I took a screenshot, so we will post it somewhere. Okay. Uh, Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, let's, we can talk about some ways that we use, um, one challenge I often run into is when you have a lot of characters and I only have maybe six voices that I can sort of pull on, but sometimes in the spur of the moment, I give them a bit of a lilt or a something. Um, and it's funny how even the table having not 
come across this character in so long, right? Uh, it happened recently. Uh, we, we, I don't want to remember a spoiler, but they come in contact with someone that they hadn't seen in a very long time. And I started talking and the whole table is like, oh no, that's not their voice. <laughs> like it's important to them, right? They have this relationship based on how I was, how I act as a GM, like yeah. what posture I use, the voice. So there's an app I love called Samples. I think it's free. And it just lets me, it's like a sampler, but I can basically uh, just record like what we're going to call a, a get into character line. Like what's a common phrase they use. Um, so if I'm trying to do that horrible Brooklyn accent, it's like, Hey, I'm walking here. It still doesn't work. But, uh, but then I record that and I put their name like Captain Volta, Celine, Shattering. Right. Um, so this is like, if I know I'm going to bring back a character that hasn't been around a while, I'm often like, what voice was that? And I can just hit play from that session when I created that character. Right. And those are recordings um, of you doing that voice, not yes. of a, like a voice sample. Right. Okay. It's just, it's me doing Captain Volta for one line. Right. Um, so that's one, I just to help you when you're planning to be like, oh yeah, that's Captain Volta. They have this like, and I can also hear my voice, how confident I am or timid, you know, yeah. or right. So it just gives me a sense of the character. Um, but as far as getting into character, interesting question. Uh, How do you get into character, Russ? Yeah. How do you become Flamekins? It sort of becomes second nature, isn't Flamekins it? Flamekins has been around for such a long time that, yeah, I can just dive into Flamekins. But when I'm when I'm introduced with a new character or thinking of a new character, uh, I look at what I think they look like. If they're really small, to me, they're going to have, more often than not, they're going to have a super high-pitched voice. Right. Or a higher pitched voice, not a super high pitched voice. Uh, Flamikins is is one of the characters who is just always excited about everything. So everything has an exclamation point. You know, you get those emails. Every sentence has an exclamation point. I feel. Attacked. I assume that Flamikins is all caps, all exclamation points, all the time. She's here just to have a great time. It doesn't matter where we go. Let's just go. Yeah, and that's that's what I call a quirk. Yeah. Right. It's like a shorthand for um, uh, something about them. Right. Like how they feel, how they move in the world. Like what's their quirk? That's exactly it. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's what they want or need. Right. That's my second thing. I'm often like writing on a card. I'm like, I got their quirk, like they're stately or standoffish or so excited exclamation point. And then what is like, for example, what does Flamekin really need? Like, I think Flamekins is sort of a little insecure. Yeah, she needs friends. Yeah. Yep. She, she, yeah, she's always trying to, whether it's on a pirate ship or whether it's with the adventurers, she's always trying to find her place in the group um, and have it, have, have the, have the people respect her for what she's bringing to the table. It's, and it's so much easier to play an NPC if you know the quirk some idea of how you're going to do the voice. It doesn't have to be a crazy voice. Nope. Um, but the most important thing is the quirk and what they need or want in the world. Because now you can play a character that has nuance, right? That 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 is uh, contiguous. I know it's a crazy word, but it means like in, in the context of your table, it means that they feel like a real character they're interacting with yeah. because they, they're consistent. And that doesn't mean Flamikins can't get sad. I've heard Flamikins get sad. Yep. But it means what makes Flamikins get sad? Yeah, it's yeah, it's it's being cast out or cut, cut down so often that you know the the value and that insecurity just rises to the top, and then you just can't you just can't anymore. Yeah, but it gives you that grounding to know, okay, well, if 
if X happens, what ha- you know, what what makes Y trigger, right? Um, and it's you know, it's interesting that you said you know, you use quirk because that was the word I was looking for. Um, we recently redid a bunch of stuff over on Dungeons Patreon where people can put in NPCs for us because we always need new characters, new NPCs. Um, so one of the one of the form fill out is like, what's their quirk? You know, nice. Give me just a fun voice, a fun thing to jump into. Uh, maybe it's as Amy said. Maybe they're always sharding. Who knows? But <laughs> it doesn't have to be anything. You just assign something fun, and then have that intent behind them, and then you can easily slime step me in. like a fish. That's right. One of the I think the challenges when you're early GMing can be stop GMing for a minute when you're playing an NPC. I often sort of forget about the world. I forget about what has to happen in the scene. I suddenly become a player at the table. I know, um, I know Flamekins, I was playing Flamekins, it really just wants friends. And I can just like be so excited when I see the party, which is actually you've done. And then just, oh, just want them all to stay with me and they have to go somewhere, right? And so I'm like, no, I'll come with you. And now it's a whole new thing, right? Like, um, but I think one of the cool things about playing an NPC is you can forget about everything in the world. You don't have to deliver any information. Don't don't feel like NPCs are just there to like give the next tidbit. Play them, have fun, be at the table, interact with the players. You can annoy them, you can uh, make jokes with them, you can just find out how they're doing. Um, some of the favorite moments for me when listening to a live play are when uh, an NPC, the GM's having so much fun that they then ask one of the players how they've been. Like they're, they're just, it's, I always love, I love that moment because we haven't seen Flamekins for six months. And then Flamekins is like, well, how are you? What's happened? And then the player starts, their character and their character starts telling them how hard it's been. And it makes a really cool moment for the table. Yeah. It's that, so. it's that grounding point. And it, you know, it works twofold for your game. Like it grounds your characters and gives them like, oh, these experiences that I had are more than just notes on a page. They are things to make the character stand out and grow and develop saying, you know, six months ago, they were probably more happy go lucky than they are now after they fight this zombie horde. Um, so that's going to change their character too. But it also gives your your group a chance to to reflect on everything. Um, and for an NPC to drive that forward, um, I mean, there's an interesting point, and I think we've talked about it in the show here, um, when be, because our, our two tables come from two mostly different sides of gameplay. Yes. Yours come from the acting improv side. Mine come yep. from the let's just, you know, roll through dungeons and play side. And there was an interesting point when we had a, had a guest player on, um, and my, my players treated them like they had a pivotal piece of information. Like they were there just to mine that information. To be interrogated. And they couldn't get it because there was no information to have. They were just a character with a rich backstory that they made, but they didn't ask them. They didn't sit down at the bar and say, well, where are you from, partner? They just like, well, what do you know about this? What do you know about this? What do you know about this? Where's the gem? What's the path? What's the best way? Where's the dungeon? Yeah. Yeah. The more you can treat your NPCs and and your player characters as... Um, as people in this world and interact with them as such, the more rich the world becomes and the more rich your role-playing becomes. Whether we say role-playing, whether you have voices or not, that doesn't matter. The more you embody that character in that moment. Um, And it just, it makes it easier the next time to step into that character or another character because you get so invested in 
in the player characters and you can start to see that as npcs that you're just jumping into yeah there it's uh, and it's totally fine that when you're starting to rpg or play at your table that it's it's about it's a game about rules and rolling dice and just the you know i think for a lot of us the start of of tabletop role playing is was just uh, the the magic that happens by the randomization of the dice for the story that's happening. Yep. But there's this threshold you cross as a table when you start doing what Russ so eloquently eloquently just said, where the world starts to become real. You start to step into it like an amazing book. But unlike your favorite trilogy that at some point you've read the last book and you're like, no, the table can keep playing in this world. You can keep going. That's the magic of tabletop role-playing game. Don't feel stressed. If you're starting at the rolling of dice and rules, um, just have fun with starting to experiment with playing NPCs. And if you want to up your game a little and feel a little more confident, even right now during the pandemic, you can take improv courses online in zoom and they're cheap. Some of them are free because all these improv places all around the world are like, we can't hold classes. So they're just opening it up and they're doing it on Zoom. Um, taking an improv class can be a really fun way as a GM to get more comfortable stepping into character in a scene and then, you know, and then on the spur of the moment. Um, so totally love it. That's it. Yeah. You got to you gotta start to see them as, as people who want and need something. The quirk really helps. Have fun playing with it with your table. Oh, another thing you can do. Let's say you're a little awkward about playing an NPC. Have your table start playing NPCs. Absolutely. Let them do it. You can, they run into a group of guards. You can only, con- conveniently, you can only play one of those characters at a time, but maybe only one player character needs to be talking to this group of guards. The two other players at the table can become guards with you. And the way yep. you all, the three of you interact with each other now dictates how these guards view the PCs that you just ran into and gives them dynamic. Yeah. So the party will be like, well, I walk up and talk to the guards. So you can like, just go, Hey, you can't come here. And then right, Sarah. And I turn and look at one of the players who's not named Sarah and, and they'll, they'll start like, right, Sarah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. No, they can't come in here. Well, no. What are you, why are you not backing me right away? I just like, that's the rule. Yes. Yeah, I expect a little more, you know, support here. Sarah. Of course. Yeah. No, sir. We're on lunch. They can't come in here till we're done lunch. All right. As you heard me. And there you go. We just have, now the guards are talking to each other, having fun. And one of those was a player. Um, and then your other players are going to have fun messing with the guards because they're seeing one of their, their, their people at the table like invested in the world in a fun new way. Yeah. And yeah, that, that really gives them, because oftentimes you have scenes where there's one player who's really shining or having a moment gives those gives chance for you to introduce those other players into that scene that is being had without having to bring their player character out of the other room that they're stuck in or, or, or just, you know, using the bathroom. So I think that's it. Have fun guys. Enjoy playing NPCs. If you have questions about this or you're like, Oh, I'm just not sure about this part of it. Send us an email. Where do they email us, Russ? Send us all your questions to dm2gmcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter and Discord. Links are down in the description. And in the meantime, get your game started and have fun doing it. Yeah. The Fable and Folly Network, where fiction producers flourish.
Sure I can't get you a drink? Uh, I, um... They'd had a moment, hadn't they? That afternoon when Garrett had smiled just like this, warm-eyed and amused in a way that made Tony want another cigarette, but also want to step forward and... Hey, Kate, what are you writing? Ah! New text post on Thursday, May 21st. Title. Why you should be watching Selkirk. So, Selkirk fandom, who wants to read my 5,000-word essay, Garrett, last name, Secret Werewolf? I'm Kate, by the way. They kiss? I think I lucked out when I found Selkirk. Because if I'd loved something else, I would have made friends, and I would have been able to read a ton of great stories. But this way, I met you. Me and Day You, a new story about love and fandom from the Procyon Podcast Network.